0: and the loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another welcome to our Daily Devotional for July the first. <clears throat> so if you recall our Daily Devotional are divided into two distinct segments. We have our Verse Something Daily segment and we have our the Bible in one year. <coughs> so the verse for July the first comes from Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 which says for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a right sum for many in order to understand what exactly is going on here in this verse, we're gonna back up and we're gonna look at Matthew chapter 20 starting in verse 24 and going all the way through verse 28 so here's what those verses say it says the 10, heard about this they were in deeply with the two brothers and the two brothers of James and John because you see James and John the Lord had come up to Jesus and asked if they could sit in places of honor at Jesus' side when he came into his kingdom. Jesus also put the Jesus called together and said, You know the Lord of the Gentiles who lord over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so will you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. <clears throat> whoever wants to be served excuse me, whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me." So the other disciples were indignant, because James and John had attempted to get what they themselves also wanted. So if you really want to, if you want to read what that was all about, you need to read Matthew chapter twenty verses twenty through twenty-three. So when Jesus gathers all of his disciples together to talk with them, he aims to expose their misplaced ambitions, just most people. I believe it is better to rule than to serve. Thus, servants and slaves are two of the most lowest positions in a society. But Jesus reverses as the status of servants in the community of disciples. and claims servants are great at first. Rather than the rich and the powerful being great and first. This is how the world uses Jesus to reverse those roles and everything can turn So, what we see that the disciples who want to be great in the kingdom of God must seek to serve others. So, the model for the disciples' impatience is so to be our one for ambition also. is Jesus' own life of service. And you see the sermon would exchange his life on the cross as a substitute for all those who will accept his payment for their sins. And so your Bible readings for July the first are going to be 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 13, verse 13 through chapter 19, verse 37. Acts 21, verses 1 through 17. Psalm 1 through 9, verses 1 through 9. And Proverbs 18, verse 8. So that concludes our first Monday segment for July 1st. Now we're going to a minute or through the pipeline one year segment. for July 1st. So this is day 182 of this particular segment. <clears throat> so if you have missed any of these segments for the first day of Bible in one year or if you just want to see what all is happening in the cycle, so, by visiting upstatechristian.com, dot upstatechristian.com. So, our focus for day 182 is on John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. So, we have now come to the end of John's gospel. And John chooses to end his gospel different than Matthew Luke, because we don't see an account of Jesus giving the Great Commission, nor do we see an account of Jesus ascension in heaven, which is what we see at the end of the other three, not always the ascension, but we do see an account of the giving of the Great Commission at the end of all three, the Synoptic Gospels. So however, what we do see at the end of John's Gospel is Jesus reinstating Peter after he had denied Jesus those three times before his enemies. So we're going to pick up now in John chapter 21, verse 15, and we're going to go through verse 17, which says, this, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. And then Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. dialogue here between Jesus and Peter is one of the most famous changes that you see in the Bible. This encounter must be great in conjunction from Peter's three-fold denial. So, just as Peter had denied Jesus three times in the presence of their enemies, now, Peter must affirm his love for Jesus in the presence of their friends. Jesus used Peter's full name to underscore the seriousness of this exchange. In the line of the burning coals, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, because you see, Jesus had masterfully we created the scene. why not too long before Peter had denied him as he warmed himself by a fire. So Jesus was likely asking Peter if he loved him more than the other disciples loved him, because earlier Peter had asserted confidently that he would lay down his life for Jesus, regardless of what the others might do. The fact that Jesus asked him the same question three times believed Peter. He knew that he had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus made sure that Peter understood that loving him means caring for his people. And so by calling his Sheep, Jesus reminded Peter that he is the good shepherd and makes make Jesus replied to each of Peter's responses with a call to service. So let's pick up now in verse eighteen and go through verse nineteen, which says very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus sent this to indicate the kind of death by which Pima would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Jesus, next, the next thing Jesus does is he called Peter to suffering and death. And you see, Peter's commission, what he had commissioned Peter to do, which was to take care of his, take care of Jesus' sheep, to feed his sheep, to do all the things that a good shepherd should do. Jesus you know, followed this commission that he gave to Peter after he had denied him three times and then said that yes, you know that I love you, even though I kinda sort of show that I do really love you in front of your enemies. And yeah, you actually see that, yeah, 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 I do love you. Now, please follow this commission with a prophecy and be, early church understood this to be a reference to Peter's death by crucifixion. As you see, Peter, according to church tradition, was crucified upside down because he said he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his lord. Savior Jesus. So we're saying that just Christ's death brought glory to God, so Peter's death would bring glory to God because Peter died martyr's death but later on in life when earlier in life he had tried his best to deny the fact that he even knew who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, by the time we need to understand that, right? By the time John wrote his gospel, which was very, very late Mm -hmm. time, probably around eighty seventy thereabouts, right? So, by the time that John had written his gospel, Peter had already glorified Christ in Mark, Peter had already been crucified your earlier words, he would have his life for, Jesus had been FULFILLED. So now let's go through, starting in chapter verse 20, go through verse 23. which says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Jesus had taken Peter aside. This, and yes, the disciples were around. Yes, the disciples were sitting around the fire with them, but they were not present when Jesus. Lord asked, asked Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say it said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Well, so let we we'll see here that Peter was concerned about what would happened. The beloved disciple, who is how, what he put is how John refers to himself throughout his gospel. John never mentions himself by name in his own gospel. He always refers to himself as Jesus lost, So Jesus makes it perfectly clear to Peter that what would happen to the beloved disciple, is John, was none of Peter's business. That was a no matter between Jesus and John, not a matter between Jesus, Peter, and John. What Peter wants to concentrate on instead was following Jesus. So what we then see is that there was this misunderstanding that arose among the disciples, particularly probably Peter and anyone else who, any of the other ten who would have heard Jesus say these words. So it led to a misunderstanding, which, it was a misunderstanding, which led to a rumor that John would not die before Jesus before Jesus' second coming. And we'll see then that John had to clarify this point. Oh no. That that's not gonna clarify Jesus' point because that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is in fact saying that if I so if I want him to stay alive until I return, he'll stay alive. If it's time to go home. It's time to go home. But it don't matter to you what matters to you. Necessarily. It doesn't matter to you what happened to John. Even though you might think that it does. And you should think that all of us should be happy. equal to so no, 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 What matters is what I tell you to do. Not what is going to happen to somebody else. So now let's... Pick up in verse 24 and go to the end of John's gospel, which will be verse 25. So this is what those last two verses say. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have whole would not have room for the books that would be written. So it is difficult to know that these final words of if, if these final words are the words of John's disciples, the the people who had Discipled by John, brought along by John, and then we've been led to Christ by John. Or if the words of his disciples authenticated the veracity of the beloved disciple Louise, or if they were the words of John referring to himself directly and in the third person difficulty remains with the first person plural. We know, as it says in verse 20 and verse 24, we know that his testimony is true. His testimony is not the we know. So it is possible that John is referring to himself and his disciples, not to himself and his readers, both his readers, then and his readers later, because he would have known this book, would have been passed along from generation to generation, so that everyone who read it would come to know Jesus in the same way that he came to know Jesus, by walking along beside him for three and a half years. So the final verse, here reminds us that though his historical knowledge of Jesus is all limited, we have been given all we need to know in the biblical accounts of his life. So to end our discussion of John's Gospel, we're going to dig deeper into Jesus' whole one-on-one conversation that he had to peer while they were sitting beside that fire on that on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we're going to dig deeper into this one-on-one conversation because this one-on-one conversation between Jesus and Peter sums up the message that John has been trying to convey over the last 20-plus chapters. And that message is all about love. So it is hard to imagine, if you really think about it, the more important question that people could have ever faced than whether he truly possessed and afforded love for his Lord, especially after he had denied him three times when he had already told him what hard to imagine. If you really think about it, a more important question have ever faced, and whether he truly possessed that devoted love for his own especially after he had denied him three times, after he had so boldly claimed that he would not do that that he would stand by Jesus' side no matter what happened (laughs) and so though in Jesus' repeated question of Peter, or I even heard his feelings as we see in the text, and the Lord was really showing compassion for the disciple who had recently denied him. Jesus knew that even though Peter was emotionally in fear, He was not confident of his love for Christ. This brings us to two big takeaways from this one-on-one conversation between Peter and Jesus. So the first big takeaway is that there were two words, two group words for love that are used in this conversation. The first, which is used in Jesus' first word that is, leo, the other Greek word for love that is used here is phileo, which speaks of a warm, natural, and more spontaneous sense of feeling and affection. So we want emotional love. So, through these two words, with the use so of these two words, Jesus points out that people's love must be more than. Love motivates Bible purpose and personal attachment. And that's the first big takeaway. The second takeaway that all of Christ's followers face the same question. So the main issue here is not are you willing to do anything for God? Or do love you know, others? The primary question just wants all of it. To answer this is, do you truly love me? Because if you truly love me, then love for others will follow after that, and being willing to do anything for me will come after that. But it all comes out of a basis of love, because you see a deep love of God is the only effective motivation for serving him. And as Christ's disciples, our primary calling is to be with him, to know him, and to love him. Out of that love relationship comes the motivation and the power to fulfill our God given purposes in life, no matter what we have to endure along the way. So we also need to understand that just the description of his followers as lamb and sheep suggests four things. And firstly it suggests we need a little care for loving, capable of faithful ears. Secondly it suggests we need to feed constantly on God's Word. Thirdly, it suggests since sheep have a wandering nature, we need repeated guidance, protection, and correction from God and others. That he may use it. And others he may use no excuse me. And finally, we must continue to be loyal disciples, which means followers, discipline and students of Jesus Christ. So the wrap all this up, Jesus seems love as the basic qualification for Christian service. All of other character qualities and requirements are and for those need to read. First Timothy chapter three verses one through thirteen. But none of them can take none of those other qualities can take the place of love of, the of love for Christ. Well, for others. We just point that John was trying to get across so throughout his gospel. show everyone who believes it that God loves them so much. He was willing to send his Show that love to others. 1 through chapter 22, verse 2, you need to read Acts, chapter 21, verses 18 through 36, we're going to Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6, and Proverbs, chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. And welcome, my (laughs) fellow readers and listeners, welcome to our daily devotional. Our first for today, which is July the second, comes from Psalm fifty nine sixteen, which says, But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love. in the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. I don't sort of really understand what is going on here in, in this whole one single verse from a uh, from the Book of Psalms. You need to go back even and look at verses fourteen to seventeen, which say they return in the evening, snoring like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and have if not satisfied, but I will sing of your strength in the morning, I will sing of your love. You are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble, you are my strength. I will sing praise to you, you God are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. So you'll we'll see here, that now the slanderers have been silenced, they have satisfaction. So as a pack of dogs, they return again to the city, and they howl, because their food does not satisfy. And they've not had any satisfaction, so their food doesn't satisfy, so they've no satisfaction. So we need to understand that God would need to understand, that God often disciplines people by making their s- sinful choices unsatisfying. And so we see that David's soul, on the other hand, is always satisfied. And why is David's soul always satisfied? Because he was a man after God's own heart. He had sought refuge in the one who could offer him complete satisfaction rather than seeking refuge in something that could not ever offer him complete satisfaction. So in the in other words, explain this, and the, the psalm was explained, right? So the psalm was explain that the gods were scavenging in the evening. David greets the dawn with song because he's reflected on God's unbending strength. and His covenant love that keeps him safe in tumultuous times. So, just as the prowling dogs appear twice in the song, David's confident refrain appears twice for the twice for the dogs is 16 and 14, and the twice for David's comfort of a friend nervous is 9 and 17, you so should probably a really some decent time for someone What's going on, it's just 17, so I'm going to be a really, really short read, it may help you understand a little bit better what we're talking about here, when you see David has moved from being a watchman to a worshiper, so while previously he watched God to receive God in his psalm, he now sings praise to God, which is what we see at the end of this psalm. So he has shifted from waiting and hoping to praising and singing, which is what we should do when we see that God has the Delivered us from the scavenging dogs that are barking at our doors. And so our Bible readings for today are for our second Kings chapter twenty verse one through chapter twenty-two verse two 20, Acts chapter twenty-one verses eighteen through thirty-six. Psalm one fifty verses one through six. In Proverbs chapter 18 verses 9 and 10. So that concludes our first of the day segment for July the second. So now we're going to move into uh, through the Bible in one year segment for July the second. So this is day 183 of this segment. So again, if you have missed any of the, uh, the Bible One Year segment, or if you've missed any of our Fresh Day segments, or you just want to see what all is out there and available for you to read, then I would urge you to visit upstatechristian.com. Again, that is upstatechristian.com. So our focus for day 183 is going to be Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. So we have now finished all four of the Gospels, which are the four accounts of the good news about Jesus. And now we are moving into the book of Acts. And so the book of Acts is going to give us a glimpse into the first... Three decades of the early church, that's about A.D. 30 to A.B. 63, as the early church spread and multiplied after the ascension of Jesus Christ. So it is not by any stretch of the imagination a detailed or comprehensive history, rather it focuses on the role played by. Apostles such as Peter, who ministered primarily to the Jews, and Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles. So the Book of Acts is formally anonymous. It does not tell us who wrote it. However, the traditional view that the author was the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, which would be the Sisyphus, and the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. So, how do we know this one? So, where does this come from? Where does this traditional view come from? So, as early as the 2nd century AD, church leaders such as Irenaeus, not Luke, was the author of Acts. And so, this church scholar or leader based his view on the weak passages of Acts, which are five sections towards the end of the book of Acts when Paul is doing his missionary journeys throughout the Gentile world where the author changes from the third person, which would be he slash she and they To the first person plural, which would be we, and he narrates the action. So, and yes, many other scholars since his time have interpreted these passages to mean the author of Acts was one of the eyewitness companions of Paul. Who fixed this destruction? None other than the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Hmm. Luke fixed this description far better than any other canon, especially given the similar views between the Gospel of Luke and the... When the book of written right so that takes of its composition is to a extent directly with Paul still in prison in Rome. That would be Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. So although it is possible that Luca wrote at a later date, a time after Paul had been released and quite possibly went on his fourth missionary journey because there are references to that. Paul. So we know that Paul was imprisoned in really probably twice and that therefore Luke was written at the time of Paul's first imprisonment and not at the time of Paul's I believe where he went on this fourth missionary journey. And, and, my right? would would have recorded that Paul was not still in prison because Paul was not have still been in prison. So it is more plausible that he concluded this while Paul was still in prison. Why? Because otherwise, he would have ended the book by telling us about Paul's works. So, why then is that so important? Why include that? It's just a proof of the early history of the Christian church. So here's one of the important ones. So I want you to imagine, right? Imagine. Imagine in your mind about how ignorant we would be if we did not have the book of Acts. Right? So the New Testament would be about 12% shorter than it is today. A collection of letters from a man named Paul, whom we would barely know. Well, well, what do we mean by that, right? So, what do we know by that, right? Because you see, Paul gives us a few letters of biological information in his letters, and there is a brief reference to them second. Thing about Paul. So, because we have the Book of Acts, we can just get a workable timeline of Paul's life and of his life. So, without the Book of Acts, no arguments would be like There would be all kinds of arguments about well, Where did Paul come from? Why are we reading these? Why are these books that Paul wrote, including the books that the Bible is not included, right? But in Acts, in Acts, we gain information about things, rather than the life of Paul. So without the book grant, we have no idea how Christianity even spread from India to the farthest stretches of the Roman Empire. Have no idea how Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, would cooperate into the church. And we those of us who are not Jewish, who now follow the Jewish Messiah, would be wondering why we're so Jews. There was no book of Acts, we'd be wondering things like that. Why? Because we would have no logical explanation. We would have to make stuff up about why this all happened. we less sure about the date of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're not sure about the date of John's Gospel. We know for a fact John's Gospel was the last Gospel written. But we would not know for sure when Matthew and Mark were written. We would not know for sure when Luke was written. Because you see, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel are in the book of Acts. For it kind of a sequel to Luke's Gospel. It turns on where Luke left off in his Gospel. So we would not know the basic contours of the early history of the church. Moreover, and more importantly, right? the book of Acts addresses many theological issues that <coughs> the deity of the Holy Spirit choose like repentance safe. uh like, about salvation right by so well, all of those things are dealt with and give us a foundation to build on for the rest of the New Testament, which is actually Paul's letters and then a letter written by another author, like Apostle Paul in the form of the book of Hebrews, and then we have the three epistles written by John, and we have the two epistles written by Peter, and we have the epistle written by James, the brother of Jesus, and then we have the book of Revelation without actually don't rest of those books, but the kind of sort of because maybe you got the Gospels that but you don't have a bridge in between the Gospels and the letters that lay down the theological the and things that actually gives us the foundations for. So what I think that. in many ways, Acts. So what I'm saying is it would be totally poor without X, because in many ways X is foundational to the Church's understanding of itself. So before we delve into the book of Acts, need to kind of understand empowered witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the book shows the gospel, the book shows the gospel moving out from Jerusalem in exactly this order. So it culminates in this, and it culminates, culminates they haunt the Roman world, the very part of the world at that point in time, the city of Rome. In the first section of book I mean, Luke lays the foundation for the Church and its mission, right? That's chapter 1, verse 1 chapter 2, verse first two chapters of Acts, the main event is Pentecost, so that's when the followers of Jesus are baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit when we get to the day of Pentecost. So hold your horses on that for just a little bit. So the second section describes the early church. So, next, i offering the next Chapter. So, that picks up in chapter 3, verse 1, goes to chapter 6, verse 7. So, it's about 3 chapters, maybe a little bit less. So, the disciples are witnessing and growing, and there is some internal strife in this section. So, the initial expansion of the church is at the story of Stephen, right, it kind of sort of takes place in the middle of all of this, right? It takes place in the middle of the second section. And so it's after Stephen's death that all the believers except the apostles move out into Judea and Samaria, carrying the gospel with them. So that's Acts chapter 6 verse 8 through now, chapter 9 verse 31 so in chapter 9 a man named saul is converted hmm. so this is the man who will carry the gospel to the nations so in preparation for this mission to the gentiles for this gentile mission right the next Chronicles. Next section. Next century Chronicles. The first Gentile convert. So that's chapter nine, verse thirty-two through chapter twelve, verse twenty-four. That's where we start to see. That's where we see a man named Cornelius converts to Christianity. So that's. Part of the Gentile mission we call our view. And the next section, look at the next section, is the start of the formal Gentile mission the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas. So we read about the penetration of the Gospel into Asia Minor regions, modern day Turkey. That's chapter 12, verse 25, to chapter 16, verse 5. The second part of the Gentile mission records the infiltration of Greece. Right, that's chapter 16, verse 6, to chapter 19, verse 20. So you see that there's some more opposition there arises, but, 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 the key word, but there's opposition comes up, but the gospel is on the gospel keeps. In. The gospel keeps spreading. So then the focus turns to Rome. That's we we'll pick up in chapter 19, verse 21. There were some issues in go to Rome, and then he's not going to come back to Jerusalem from Rome. He's not going to return from this trip to Rome, to Joseph. He's not going to return to the churches in Asia Minor, and the churches in Greece. So he's not going to return to the Turkish churches, and the Greek churches he's help found after he makes this trip to Rome. So the last section of Acts deals details how Paul got to Rome. So next chapter 19, verse 21, to the end of book uh, to the end of the book, which is chapter twenty eight, verse thirty-one. We so we see that Paul's what we will see in the next section is that Paul's trip to Rome was not an ordinary trip to the city. So in the final verses of this book, of the book, we see Paul is in Rome, and here he is preaching the gospel without hindrance. So this is what we need to understand about Luke's gospel. I'm going to you about the book of Acts. So Luke is writing in a vivid and exciting style. His account has all the that would mark it as great literature in today's world right. It has political intrigue, it has war factions, and it has racial tensions. All the things that make great literature great, but yet it is not all literature. It is what actually happened to the early followers of Jesus. And they went out and did what he had commissioned them to do. So we look at Acts. We see supernatural phenomena. We see miraculous escapes. We see angelic We also read of journeys and shipwrecks. We see magnificent loyalty and bitter betrayal, We see flawed humans and a perfect god. We see unholy demons and the Holy Spirit. And finally, the book of at to find you everything. So now let's actually get into and into this book. Let's delve into this book. So remember, our number focus for the day is going to be on chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. All right. So we're going to pick up in verse one start in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 5. So let's start off with... So here's what those verses say. It says in my former book, Deophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering presented himself to them, and gave many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them for a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water but in a few days, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So the prologue to Acts is a continuation of the prologue to Luke's gospel. So at least three matters support this. The first matter is that the words are plainly connected by the of the phrase, former book, which connects the author of Luke's gospel, which was also written to Theophilus, to the author of the book of Acts. The second matter is that according to Luke, the four treatise was about what Jesus began to do and teach. It suggests, it suggests that the present work of the book of Acts is about what Jesus continued to do, which is supported by the content of the book of Acts. And finally, finally, the prologue, and this is in verse 4, specifically, references Luke 24:49. So Luke has essentially summarized here the last chapter of his gospel as he begins this book, thus overlapping the two words that are making actually the sequel to the gospel of the continuation of what had started which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized in water, but in a few days you will be baptized, with the Holy Spirit is in Illusion, Luke 3.16, and prepares the disciples for what is to come. <clears throat> I don't know the time or things. The Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see here there's a question about restoring the kingdom, which seems to be the The second exodus was near, if not immediate. So the prophesied event that is being talked about here right, it comes from Isaiah chapter two verses two through four, and chapter eleven verses one through six. If you want to read more information about that, we're not going to go into great detail about that because we still have a long way to go and a short time to get there. Prophesying in culminates with the full realization of the kingdom. So it choose not only the Messiah ruling, but the Gentile coming to Zion. You see, Jesus' answer should not be interpreted as a denial of his own return. He doesn't deny that he might return immediately. Instead, And it is a reminder to stay out of the Father's business. It's a reminder to keep our eyes focused on what they should be focused on, which is doing God's work. We don't need to be focused on what His plan is for later, 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 later down the road. his plan, and he's gonna do it however he decides he wants to do it. However, he decides he wants to do it, it's perfectly okay with me, and it should be perfectly okay with you, and it's gonna be perfectly okay with his disciples. but guess what? These disciples ain't gonna be around to see it now, because they've already died, and they've already gone to heaven. We focus on the business we are given. So the day and time for Jesus' in return is God's privilege, not our privilege. And so we can understand that history is very really reproduced by those who are faithful, and by those who are charlatans. And both are serious breaches of obedience. So while we wait, while we wait, this is just a point of while we wait, we are to be busy for the king. So now we come to this most important verse of all for a saint. Right, which is of most importance to the book of Acts and to the church's mission. So what we see here that future tense clauses serve both as predictions and commands. So first, believers was receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And thus Across, the parameters of the mission. They will be God's witnesses. So, the threefold geographical reference unfolds the general outline of the Book of Acts that we already talked about in our intro line. So, the believer would be King they would move out to Judea and Samaria, and then they would go to the ends of the So, the end of the earth is a reference used in the Old Testament to refer to the whole inhabited world. So, to understand that, you should look at Isaiah 45, 22 and Isaiah 62, 11. So the gift of the Spirit, then, is probably to be privilege to the church. You see, the Spirit comes to empower the problems of the gospel to the world. Maybe the evidence that the last days have arrived. So, as an end time promise, the gift of the Spirit is the down payment. And for that, you need to see Ephesians 1 The other promises that have been made to us will come to pass. So, As we've already said, verse 8 is the key verse in the book of Acts, and it is dealing with the primary purpose of the baptism in the Spirit that Jesus, that Jesus had already told His disciples what happened. He already told His disciples this would happen, and that we are going to deal with in depth when we get to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And so the purpose of the baptism of the Spirit is to receive power, to live. message that those who do not have a personal relationship with God can receive his forgiveness, they can learn to follow Jesus, and they can fulfill his purposes for their lives. So the end result That more people come to know, they come to love, and they come to honor Jesus as Lord. So we say, Lord, right? We say, that means the honor, the authority in their minds. And there are three important things that we need to see about this power. So the things about the word power that we see in that word power, which is a that's what the word is used here for power and more than strength or ability. It refers to a power at work or in action. And let's see, Luke, both in his gospel and in Acts, points out the Holy Spirit's power, including the authority to drive out evil spirits, which is the power or the authority to command them to release and control in people's lives, and including the unmoniously empowering the and or the commissioning to heal the sick. So both of these things were described as the two essential signs accompanying the bold message of God's kingdom. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's way of releasing the power of the Holy Spirit into a Christian's life, into a believer's life. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we see about this power is that He does not relate the power in the spirit, to the first experience of personal spiritual salvation, which is what we talked about in John's Gospel, specifically John chapter number 10. I would urge you to go back and read that one, the one where we talk about that, where initial coming of the Holy Spirit, of the spiritual regeneration, the spiritual birth that occurs when that Alex is completely different from being baptized into the Spirit. So what he is describing as is a power come upon someone who is already a follower of Christ, and then working from within that person to effectively communicate Christ's message so that's the thing we see about this power that's the fact you we see about this power is that and the truth of help Christ get Death and resurrection makes spiritual salvation and a personal relationship with God possible. So now let's move oh, on. So we've already dealt with the power right this guilt of Frank said what does say? Then uh what does it say it is uh when the Holy Spirit comes uh, so we'll see power when the Holy Spirit comes on I mean, you, so we deal with that one. Now let's deal with that last one, which says that you will be with me like witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, right? So we're going to deal with that one, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, will provide the power to proclaim the message about forgiveness in your life through faith in Jesus, it also increases the forgiveness of our personal testimony or mess. And it does this through the strengthening and deepening of your relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of the Son being. Jesus so he, he puts our relationship with the Trinity, with the Godhead three and one with our triune God. Right? And so that comes that of that relationship really comes from being filled with the spirit. And so there are five important things we see about the the effectiveness of a believer's personal testimony through the baptism in the spirit so the first one the first important thing is that the holy spirit reveals and makes more real to us the personal presence of jesus I to say responding to additional voice or witness from the spirit. The and intimate relationship with Jesus and a result and an and a with Jesus and a result in a in an increasing desire to love honor and praise him as our savior so that's the first important thing the second important thing is that the holy spirit witnesses both to and through christians Mm -hmm. to convince people of god's righteousness that's john 16 verses 8 and 10 in the truth that's John 16, 13, which brings glory to Jesus Christ. That's John 16, 14. Notice all these references here to John. John is John's Gospel. is the only Gospel. that really really, really talks about the Spirit. He talks about it a little bit at the very end of his Gospel delves into it a little bit, but it gets into the book of Acts, but John and gospel is really the only one that talks about how the Holy Spirit comes to live with you know, the day you will say yes to Jesus <laughs> hmm. so this happens to both words and actions, which just those who have already received and responded the spirit's testimony about Christ is about christ's spiritual story work will show christ's character traits of love truth and right behavior in their lives so that's the second important thing the third important thing is that the baptism of the holy spirit is the starting point through which spirit-filled Christians between those who have received Christ and have God's Spirit living within them will the power to communicate Christ's message with great effectiveness. So this includes the ability to convince people of their spiritual lostness apart from Christ and includes the ability. It includes their accountability to the God. And they need to get right with him. So we're gonna convince the other spiritual losses. And we're going to be able to convince them of their accountability to God. And they need to get right with him. This whole thing is affect who proclaimed Christ's message as well as those who were sent that message and we know things once again. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is gonna make us more effective as witnesses to those all around us. So that's the third important thing. The fourth important thing is that the bapti- is that baptism in the Holy Spirit can be given only to those who have turned toward God in true repentance. Because you see, the power of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is maintained by the same devotion to Jesus Christ and His purposes. So we've got to be devoted to Jesus and we've got to be devoted to His purposes. So the fifth and some important thing is that a baptism in the Holy Spirit is a baptism, in other words, it is an immersion into the spirit who is holy. So we're immersing ourselves into the spirit. We're allowing ourselves to be immersed, to be dumped into So, God's holiness here refers to His purity, to His perfection, to His spiritual completeness, and to His separation from evil. So, what this all means is that if we have truly submitted to God and His, and if we have truly submitted to God, and if His Spirit is at work in us, in all His Oh, yes. our lines will become saturated with his character traits. become saturated with his character traits, and as a result, will be more like Christ and be an example of his holiness. Thus, making our witness more effective. So, in light of these biblical truths, right? Those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit will have a strong desire to please Christ in everything they do. And why is that? It's because the baptism in the Spirit complements like how what it please, or it fills up the saving and spiritual purifying work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who are followers of Christ, but those who have claimed to have those who claim to have experienced the fullness the baptism of the baptism, and in any way that is contrary to the character of God's Holy Spirit are revealing the fact that they do not have this experience. Even if those people show spiritual abilities, if they are able to perform miracles or spectacular songs, or even if they are able to preach eloquence, but yet even if they do all those things, but they lack true faith, they lack true love, and they lack true purity, they are not working by the Holy Spirit but by the unholy spirit, that is not from God. Because you see, the baptism in the Holy Spirit not only empowers us, to, not only provides the power to proclaim kind of the message about forgiveness and like to the in of Jesus, but it also increases the uh, forgiveness of our personal testimony, of our personal witness, our personal witness cannot be effective, right? If we are not living, if we do not have true faith, if we do not have true love, if we do not have true purity, if our character does not reflect that. Yeah, and so now let's pick up in verse 9 and go to the end of this first section first I eleven, which said after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, and of Galilee they said, "Why do you stand here looking into the sky?" This same Jesus who has been taken off from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. So the ascension that we see here is only narrated here and in Luke chapter 24 verse 51. So the event. The event however, is mentioned outside of Luke's like So we know for a fact this took place because it is mentioned elsewhere. So other scriptures go on to describe Jesus being seated at right the right hand of the Father. So here in Acts, and then Luke, excuse me, here in Acts, Luke describes Jesus rising out of the sight of the disciples making both highway witnesses and in a sense, successors. Why are they successors? Because Jesus has left them behind on earth to carry on his mission, to carry on the mission that he left them, just as when Elijah was bodily taken up into heaven in the presence of Elisha. Elijah became his successor if he went on and did greater things than Elijah ever did, right? Have you follow him so far, right? So yet, but yet these successors, instead of being independent agents who operate and the work of the risen Christ, which is what we're going to see throughout the remainder of Acts. Once we have laid this foundation, that is what we're gonna see. So the appearance of the Torah, the appearance of the angels, is both shocking and can- he was going, as Jesus was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Right? So that's the prince of the angels that was both a shocking and concerned, because the angel said, Now, Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. <coughs> in the same way you have seen him and stand there looking at the sky when he comes back like a bunch of stupid idiots. I you know, that's not exactly what that passage says, but it is essentially the message that the angels are giving Jesus' disciples. Quit standing around, gawking at the sky, and get on with the mission you've been given. Jesus has gone back to heaven do his mission. Now it's time for you to get on with your mission. here at the very end where it says uh, there's the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. So what we need to understand about that is that in many way right, Jesus' return will be different than his first coming. Don't you see when he came first Came in secret, right? But when he comes the second time, he's going to come in public. So Jesus is not going to come on back the second time secretly, but he's going to come back publicly. So well, he came the first time through human birth. But when he comes back the second time, he ain't going to come back through human birth. He's going to come back in glorious descent. He's going to come back not as a human being, so that he could live as a perfect human being, so that he could die the death and take our place to pay the penalty that we could never pay for us until we've already done that. So when he comes the second time, he can come in all his glory as they and rain King, he's going to come back to put an end to every bad thing that has ever happened. So he's also not going to come back in humility, which is how he came the first time. He's going to come to victory. And so I'm going to see that's what well, we're going to pick up tomorrow. As you see, we have already seen now, that Jesus has taken his disciples on question, that he has left his disciples, now as his successors. And so what we're going to pick up with tomorrow, is how the remaining eleven disciples chose a replacement for we escape. just going to take us through the end of chapter 1. So here's what you need to read to be prepared for that discussion. You need to read 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 3 through 23 verse 30. You need to read Acts chapter 21 verse 37 through 22 verse 16 in this read psalm chapter 8, psalm 1 verses 0, 1 through 6 in proverbs chapter 18 verses 11 and 12.